Well, is anybody just exhausted right now? Anybody? I'm not the only one? Okay, good, good. As I talk to people, I I hear so many different stories about how the last two years have affected you. Uh, Some of you very much affected by disruption from COVID. Others of you, your life disrupted for other reasons. You moved, you started school, you finished school, you started a new job. It seems like life has affected everybody very differently in the last two years. But we've got one thing in common, and that's the result. Everybody's worn out from it. Everybody's tired, right? And so those of you that are managers at work, uh, you probably are pretty well aware by now you're really used to it that not only are you short-staffed, uh, and not only would someone might call into work because uh, they're exposed or because they got sick at any point, but the threshold for how difficult something has to be for someone to call in is a lot lower now, isn't it? People will call in for almost any reason now. Uh, a lot of that is because they're tired, they're worn out, and so just about any rain might keep them home from work where it wouldn't have earlier. Uh, We see that even here at church, the threshold for what it might take for someone who three years ago said, you know what, it's raining outside, but I'm going to go to church. I'm going to drive through the rain and I'm going to be there. And now we're a little more tired, a little more meek in the way we look at everything. And you might get up and say, "Ah, it's cold out. I I don't think I I can make it, right? We're all just tired in this way. Uh, For us as a church, we've got the same feeling that most everybody has with life, that feeling of we got knocked down, but we got back up again, and hey, we're about, boom, got knocked down again, but hey, we got back up again, and we're rebuilding, and boom, got knocked down again, and back up again, and rebuilding over and over. It's like this cycle, and it's starting to feel kind of like a boxing match, isn't it? Uh, Boxing is exhausting anyway, right? Those rounds are only two minutes for a reason to dodge all those punches and do all that. Your heart's going real fast. What's even more exhausting for a boxer is when you get knocked down, right? If you get knocked down and you get back up, now the other guy's got an advantage because you just expended a bunch of energy hitting the floor and getting back up again. Uh, Even worse, if you get knocked down and get back up three, four, or five times in a row, And for some of you, that's life right now, right? You're exhausted because you hit the ground several times and you've gotten back up. That may be because of COVID. It may be because of something totally different in your life. Uh, Emily and I moved three years ago, and I still don't think we've recovered physically from packing up everything and coming up here. Life change does that. Adventure does that. Stress does that. And I think if we've got one thing in common right now, we're all ready for the adventure to be over, right? We're, We're ready for all the stress, all the craziness to come to an end. If, if I'm right about you, if that's how you're feeling, then you've got a friend this morning in Abraham, the one whose life we've been reading about. Uh, his life has been one misadventure after another. Crazy things have gone in his life. He's been constantly moving along this whole season of his life. And we're about to read of the day when all of the tension in his life wraps up nice and neat, and he gets to spend the next 75 years of his life in peace and tranquility. And as you read it, there's this sense of, ah, wouldn't that be nice? And that's, I think, what the Lord wants to set in us this morning, a picture, a reminder that the adventure is not going to last forever. The change, the stress, the craziness, 
None of it lasts forever. One day, the day comes when we get to settle down with the Lord forever. I think the Lord wants to increase your appetite for that day this morning. Uh, We're going to read the very last two paragraphs of Genesis chapter 21 this morning, starting with verse 22 and all the way to the end. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing, and you did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abimelech took sheep and oxen, I'm sorry, Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a covenant. Abraham set aside seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? And he said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. So therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba, and then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. The words of the Lord. Through this story, our Lord means to grow our longing for the stability and the flourishing that await us after he returns to fulfill his promises to us. And my prayer for you, as I said a moment ago, is that this will give you a taste of what happens after your adventure ends, after all the craziness ends, and you, as the psalmist says, dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Little pictures of what that will be like that you can long for even today. Perhaps the Lord would use that to urge you on toward holiness, to cling to Jesus throughout the rest of the adventure as it continues to go on in your life because you get a little bit better of a picture, a little more concrete of a picture of what that will look like when you get to dwell with him and your story, your drama comes to its end. What this storyteller is doing here in chapter 21 is he is wrapping up all of the plot tension in Abraham's life. At the beginning of chapter 21, everything was up in the air for Abraham. He had been waiting for decades on a promised son that was going to come. Uh, There had been this crazy misadventure with Hagar and Ishmael and all of this confusion about what are we going to do about that? And Abraham had had all sorts of moving around, difficulty in his life. Every time he came into contact with a king, it didn't go well. He was never really safe. He always seemed to be moving and on the run. All of that gets wrapped up in this chapter. The promised son Isaac is born, and so the great plot tension is resolved. Now he holds the promised son he has been waiting for in his arms. 
Nobody really knew what to do about Hagar and Ishmael and how messed up that whole situation got, but the Lord has taken care of it. He's going to take care of Hagar, take care of Ishmael. They're now out on their own, and there's no rivalry for who is going to be Abraham's heir. So that is checked off as well. And now, finally, the fact that Abraham is always on the move, the fact that there's constant tension between him and the kings where he is, and all that unsettledness in Abraham's life also comes to a close. All the plot tension is getting wrapped up. The feeling that that is supposed to leave the reader with is kind of like if uh, you sit down on your couch to watch the season finale of a show that you love and you've got your, you know, diet A&W root beer right there if you're me or whatever it is you got there and you got your popcorn, you're sitting down, ah, season finale is finally here, right? And there's all kinds of crazy stuff that has gone on and sometimes with these season finales, they give you like a cliffhanger ending. I never really like that. I want them to wrap it up, right? Let's say for this one, you sit down and they wrap everything up in the story. You know that feeling? It's like, ah, yeah, everything's settled, right? That's the feeling this author wants you to have as you see what's happening to Abraham and as his story is wrapping up. You may have the same feeling if you sit down on a book series. Some of you guys I know read series of novels. Some of these things are 15 and 20 novels long and finally the last one comes and you're two-thirds of the way through it. You sit down in your comfy chair and you're like, I got 100 pages left in this series and you know what's going to happen. Everything is going to get wrapped up and it's all going to land real nice for everybody. There's a feeling with that closure. That's what this author is giving to us here. As Isaac is born, the thing with Hagar and Ishmael is dealt with, and now even the constant tension in Abraham's life comes to a close as he comes to peace with the nearby king. So the setup for this particular story is, so far, when Abraham came into contact with a king in whatever land he was in, Uh, never really went very well, right? Place to place, he would go, and he would know that the king of the land had the power to take his wife from him and often would, and so he had to lie and say, she's my sister, and two different times we have it recorded, the king felt the power to take his wife from him, right? And it just traumatic things really happening to him and his family, Sarah getting put into a harem at least twice, potentially more times, On another occasion, five kings band together against four kings, and there's a great war. An army comes through the land and raids many of the towns that he is in, including the town where his nephew Lot lives. He's got a, Abraham has to raise up 300 men and go out to war and fight a terrible battle against these people. Truly traumatic things going on in Abraham's life when he deals with kings. The kind of things that give soldiers today PTSD, uh, literal trauma that he's going through. But, There is a promise to Abraham that God has made. Whoever blesses you, I'll bless. And whoever curses you, I will curse. That promise is slowly coming true along the way. So after all kinds of adventures, all kinds of trauma in his life, now the king of the land, Abimelech, comes to him looking for peace. Now the last time these two met, Abraham went to the king And the king had enough of an upper hand that he could say, hey, who's that woman with you? She's beautiful. I want her in my harem. That's, That's how much power this king had over him. Well, now the king is coming to him. And the king says, now I see that you are blessed in all you do. And so I want peace with you. And I want peace for my sons with your sons. So who's got the upper hand now? 
Now Abraham's got the upper hand at the negotiation table. So in verses 22 and 23, the king comes to him, says, I want to have peace with you. I see God blesses you. In verse 24, Abraham agrees and says, okay, we can have peace. But since Abraham's got the upper hand, he gets to make the demands now. So he reproves Abimelech about a well that he had dug that the citizens of Abimelech's kingdom are seizing from him. So he essentially says, okay, if you want to have peace, stop your servants from seizing the well that I dug. I dug that well. Abraham's making the demands now. Evidently, he really does have the upper hand because Abimelech responds on the defensive. Oh, I'm sorry. I I didn't even know. You never told me. If you just told me about this, I would have taken care of this, right? Negotiation here. He's he's not got the upper hand. He's got to please Abraham. So they come to an agreement. In verses 27 to 31, they make peace and Abraham gets rights to the well. So this means now Abraham has the protection of Abimelech the king And the king is declaring, this is Abraham's well. Anybody who tries to take it from him, you got to answer to me, right? That means Abraham has gone from being harassed and threatened by the kings in the land where he lives to the favor and protection of the king in the land. It's a much better scenario for Abraham. So in response, Abraham plants a tree. You might ask, why is he plant a tree? Well, because he senses, I got the feeling I'm staying here for a while. Right? He, he's never lived anywhere for long enough to plant a tree and expect to see it come to maturity. But now he's got the protection, he's got rights to the well. I got a feeling I'm gonna stick around here. I'll plant this tree right here and now I get to watch this tree that I made grow. And he calls upon the name of the Lord. Verse 34 confirms that Abraham is correct in his guess that he will stay there for a while. It says he stayed many days in the land of the Philistines. That's the southern border of Israel, if you're interested in just where that is. In truth, Abraham has yet 75 years to live. We think of this as the end of his story. He's got another 75 years ahead of him. Uh, He will not move much, really, after this. Uh, He will spend the rest of his 75 years in that region And he will die even in this region, just about 20 miles from this very location. Uh, So Abraham is going to finally plant down, settle down for good, plant a tree, and stick around long enough to see that tree come to maturity. That's meant to leave us as readers with that feeling. Ah, right? The story got wrapped up. Finally, this guy who's been on the move for so long can dwell in peace and security in one place for a long time. There are two reasons this author wants us to feel that way. One is because the author wants us to be off guard when the biggest test of all actually is coming in the next chapter, that the sacrifice of Isaac is coming. And so he wants you feeling, ah, doesn't this feel nice for when, when that punch comes? That's one device the narrator's using here. The other is he, he wants us to look at it and say, man, wouldn't that be nice, right? Has your life been a crazy adventure for the last few years enough that you could say, man, it sure would be nice to be able to plant a tree and know I have the protection of the government over me and know that in 50 years, I'm gonna come back and see this tree in full maturity. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice? He's doing that 
because the Lord actually taught Israel to look forward to those very things, to peace, prosperity, and long life in the land if they would keep his covenant. He's just giving them a little concrete picture of that here, what that would look like. What does peace, prosperity, and protection in the land look like for long life? Well, it looks a little bit like what Abraham gains here. As the story goes on, it unfolds in a way that really affects us quite a lot. Uh, I said just a moment ago, that peace, that longevity, that prosperity in the land, that's what Israel was taught to hope for and expect. Uh, Let me read to you from Leviticus chapter 26. Uh, In the course of time, the people, the descendants of Abraham, particularly of Jacob, would become a nation. God would give them a law and a covenant which essentially says, if you will keep my ways, nation of Israel, you will live long and prosper in in security in this land. But if you don't keep my ways, things will go terribly for you. You will lose battles and get kicked out of your land. Listen to some of the language that is used in this promise. This is Leviticus 26. I'm going to start at chapter uh, verse 6. I will give you peace in the land... And you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. Doesn't that sound just like what Abraham got here under the protection of Abimelech? Uh, Later on, he says, you shall eat old store long kept, and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. And in verse 11, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. Just like Abraham planted his tree and called upon the name of the Lord. So so here's Abraham settling down in the land, living in security and in fellowship with God. And now here, hundreds of years later, is Israel told, hey, you guys can have the same thing if you keep this covenant, if you keep my ways. Peace, security, longevity, and prosperity in the land. The book goes on to describe the curses that would fall on them if they did not keep God's law. And many of you know the story. They did not keep God's law, so things got worse and worse for them until finally they were defeated, their cities destroyed, and they were kicked out of the land that God had given them. But even in that day, the Lord gave them prophets to put that hope of peace and prosperity in the land in front of them. Uh, And that day the prophet Micah rose up and he said, a day is coming when the kingdom of God will dawn. And the imagery he uses is, every one of you will sit under his own fig tree and none will tremble or make you afraid. Right? Just like Abraham plants this tree, watches it grow, gets to sit under it and no one gets to tremble, make him tremble or be afraid because he's got the protection of the king. Zechariah says very similar things, but but a little bit different. He says, you will sit with your neighbor under your fig tree, right? You have peace with your neighbor. He'll come over and just like we like to do on our back porch, you'll get to do under your fig tree, peace and prosperity in the land. Isaiah says that the government will be on the shoulders of a coming king that God will give, who we know is Jesus Christ. So we'll have the protection and the security of good government that favors us. All of the same kind of stuff promised to us one day. It's down the road. Wait for it. One day, he says, and so we're all left wondering, when when is that ever going to come? When is the adventure ever going to end and we finally get to dwell in peace and security in the land, especially after the last couple years we had? When's that going to come? Well, the story keeps going on. 
One of the things that God promises among those prophets is uh, I'll dwell with you in the land. I'll be your God and you'll be my people and I'll walk among you. And sure enough, that's what he did. Uh, He came to earth. God made man in Jesus Christ, uh, the son of Abraham, the son of David. Jesus walked the earth and he began to preach. And his message, Matthew says, was repent for the kingdom is at hand. That, That day, that day when you're all gonna sit under your own fig tree, that day's coming. But what do you gotta do to get there? Repent for the kingdom is at hand. So so he's saying, guys, the the way that you're going, you're not headed for the kingdom where we all sit under our own fig tree. No, you're headed somewhere else. Turn, come back to me, come back to God through me, through Jesus Christ, he says, and then receive the kingdom of God. He called many to repentance. Many came back to God through his preaching and through the preaching of those after him. He would eventually die, rise from the dead, die to offer payment for the sins of his people, rise from the dead, and then ascend up into heaven where he still sits today and he promises that he will come back for us. When he comes back, he says, he will raise us from the dead in the same way that he raised himself from the dead. And everyone, it says, will be judged according to their works. So whether you follow Jesus or not, your body will be raised from the dead when he comes back. You'll be taken before the throne of judgment, your deeds recounted by God, and you'll be found either righteous or wanting based on what you have done. But there's another book there that day, it says, the Lamb's Book of Life. And those who trust Jesus Christ Their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So you come before him, you're judged. I think any of us would say our works find us wanting, right? We do not deserve to be there in that kingdom. But if our faith is in Jesus Christ, our name is found in the Lamb's Book of Life. And he says, welcome into my kingdom. Welcome into my happiness. Then that day the prophets promise Then that prosperity of Abraham in the land for a long time, then that age dawns. So so the big picture here is that for those who have their faith in Christ Jesus, those images of of a day of flourishing and prosperity uh, and a wonderful land with God as our God and us as his people, with security from the government of all of the chaos coming to an end and we finally get to settle down That comes true for us, for the people of God, when Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom. What's a a concrete picture of what that tranquility and what that closure will look like after Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom? Well, you have a concrete picture of it all the way back in this story. Several of the concrete things he receives in that moment, we will receive when Jesus comes back for us. And so Abraham's prosperity here is an incomplete picture of the prosperity that we will find in the new heavens and the new earth that Jesus Christ as king will set up for us. So that took a long time to get there. I want to give you this morning, uh, more quickly than that, uh, four ways that the flourishing we will find, the abundance we will find in the new kingdom of Jesus Christ will look like what Abraham found here. Uh, 
first way our prosperity will be like his prosperity is that we will hold in hand promises that we are waiting on right now. In Abraham's life, this looked like a promised day when a son was going to be born. And he spent decades waiting, didn't he? But now things are different. Now he holds the promised son in his hand. That's not all the promises God made to Abraham. There are some that God has yet to fulfill, but that big concrete one of holding that baby, he's got it in hand now. Now the baby's even growing. He's probably a boy by now. In the same way, you and I right now are waiting on God to keep many promises, but one day it will be different. One day we will hold those promises in hand. I'll give you a few examples. Jesus promises Uh, To a people in distress, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come for you. Promises, I'm going to come and I'm going to rescue you out of this terrible situation you are in. And some people are in terrible situations waiting for God to fulfill that promise. Some, Some Christians on the other side of the world suffering intense persecution are just waiting. Lord, will you come for us? Do not leave us as orphans, but come and rescue us out of the hand of this tyrannical king who is after us. Right Now they are waiting on him. One day they will say, not Jesus is gonna come and rescue us, but Jesus came for us. Right? One day they will look back and say, I have that promise in hand now. Jesus came for me. That means something concrete for really any of us, but I'll give one more example. Say, say a, a woman, who, a, a wife, uh, who is being mistreated terribly by her husband, uh, even abused by her husband, and just waits on the Lord to fulfill this promise. Jesus will come for me. Jesus will rescue me. He will come for me. And she's even nursing her wounds and maybe eventually works up the courage to call the police and the police come and the husband gets taken away. But as often happens, he's only in jail for two days and then he comes back and he's even more wicked to her than he was before. And she's just waiting on the Lord to come and rescue her. Today, she says... Jesus will come for me. I trust him. He will come for me and he will put an end to this. My husband will receive what is due to him one day. But she's not going to say that forever. One day the promise she's waiting on, she'll hold in hand. And she will say instead, Jesus came for me. And my husband has received what is due to him. so, So in this way, now we're looking forward to that promise of Jesus coming and rescuing us. One day we will look back on his fulfillment of that promise to come and rescue us. Many promises made to believers. I'll give you one more. Uh, He promises, uh, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, right? Uh, This means very simply that if you're a Christian and you can say, yeah, the spirit of God has worked in my life, he's brought me to faith in Jesus Christ, and he has made me a little more holy with each passing day, right? Like I'm getting better at some of this stuff. You can see the Spirit's work in your life. That's he who began a good work in you, right? He started it. But you're not sinless yet, are you? Right? There's still stuff that is getting to you. Well, the promise is you can look back on that growth you've had so far and know that one day the Lord will complete it. Right? One day the Lord will make you perfect and sinless. But right now, you're looking forward to that, right? You're not there yet. And so you 
just had an argument with your spouse and you weren't very nice to your spouse. And why was that? Was the Lord hasn't finished with you yet. And so you have to rely on that promise. Okay, one day I won't be a jerk to my wife anymore, right? One day the Lord will finish me, right? Or some of you caught deep in sins. Uh, Sometimes young men fight and wrestle against sexual temptation so much. And they can look back and say, I am more pure than I used to be by God's grace, but but I'm not pure yet, right? Now they're looking forward, saying, the Lord will complete this work in me. He will make me sinless one day. That's what we have now, a promise to look forward to, right? Just like Abraham looked forward to the birth of his son. But one day, we're going to look back, and we're going to say, the Lord finished that work. Now he's made me sinless. There will come a day when you will look back and say, the Lord has made me sinless for 10,000 years. I have not sinned against God in 10,000 years. And then you will look ahead to eternity ahead of you with perfection and sinlessness before God. So in the same way that Abraham once looked forward to this promise and now has it, the promises you look forward to the Lord fulfilling at his return, one day you'll hold them in hand. We won't live in hope forever. Eventually we will look back on promises kept. That's the first way that our prosperity there, our abundance there, will be something like what Abraham has now in this later phase of his life. We'll hold in hand promises we're today waiting on. Second way that our blessing there will be something like what Abraham has here is the government will favor and protect us in that day, right? Now, remember, up to this point, anytime Abraham's come into contact with a government or a king, it really hasn't gone well. It's been very traumatic for him. But now, the king's coming to him and everything's, he's got the favor and protection of the king. Now, when other citizens try to attack him, they have to deal with King Abimelech. He's got the protection and the favor of the king in his land, Can you imagine if that happened to us today? Can you imagine if one day uh, Bernie Sanders and President Biden and AOC came here on the stage and they said, Calvary Baptist, we see that God is blessing you and we want peace with you at any cost. What do you want? We will give it to you. You expect that to happen in this lifetime? No, no, we don't, do we? But the Lord promises that one day the government will be on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And guess who Jesus Christ is 100% in favor of? His church, his people. We will have a king one day who doesn't antagonize us, but a king who looks out for us and will protect us from any threats on the outside. A king whose iron scepter nobody can get past and whose iron scepter is protecting us, his people. So in the same way that Abraham gets to dwell in some security now because he's got the protection of the king, we will dwell in security that day because we'll have protection of the king of kings, right? No one will make us tremble or make us afraid in that day because we will have the king of all things on our side. That means so much for so many groups today who have been taught that everybody in America is after them. Uh, The identity politics game is kind of turning on us at this point now because almost everyone can identify with some group that somebody else is after and almost everyone is being fed a message that America is after you, right? If you're part of the LGBTQ community, for instance, 
The message that you'll receive is they're all after you. The conservatives are after you. The Christians are after you. The Republicans are after you. The government is after you. Everybody wants to get after you. Everybody hates you. Everybody's trying to get rid of you. You hear that message enough and you start to believe it. You start to think that everybody is after you, right? Uh, The message that is sent to black Americans today is often so hopeless, right? It's open season on black people in the streets, right? Everyone is after you. Racism is everywhere. No matter what, you're never going to make it because the color of your skin works against you in every part of American society. And maybe in some places it's true. Maybe they really are coming up against some hardship because of the color of their skin. But when you get that message enough, there's a feeling of despair, right? Everyone is after me and people like me. If you're conservative, the message is the media is after you, academia is after you, right? All the institutions are controlled by the other side and they're after you and they want to squish and crush people like you. And so you go through life thinking they're after me, right? And oh goodness, if you're a Christian, oh man, everybody on the left, the middle and the right is after you, right? And they can't wait to come and burn your church down and your pastor's going to be in jail by 2030, right? Like that's the message that we're getting. Almost anybody can identify with some group that is hearing the message of everyone is after you, right? How can you go through that with hope? And I should acknowledge in some cases it's true. Some people really do have bad people after them. How do you go through that with hope? You look forward to the day when the government's on the shoulders of Jesus Christ, who is 100% for us. Even if everybody is after you, it won't be that way forever. No, one day the king of kings will rule in favor of his people. Sovereign, unquestioned, and 100% for his church. You can look forward to a day when you have the protection of the government, no matter who you are, if you would come to Jesus Christ. All right, the third way that our blessing and prosperity then will be like Abraham's is that the drama the change, the unending stress of life will give way to stability and flourishing. We saw this in Abraham's life where he was constantly on the move, right? Uh, from the time this story started, he was up in, uh, in Babylon in Ur of the Chaldeans. He goes all the way down to modern day Israel and then all the way over to Egypt and then back. Most of this either on foot or by camel, taking his whole house and all of his possessions the whole time, always wondering and on the move. If you want to put this to scale, this is about like walking from here all the way to the border of Texas and then about halfway back. That's pretty, how much he's been traveling his whole life, constantly moving, living in tents, not really calling anywhere home, constantly harassed by whatever governor was in the land and things just always stressful and chaotic for him. He goes from that to planting a tree and saying, I got a feeling I'm going to be here for a while, right? He goes to a level of drama, violence, and immorality that's kind of like HBO level stuff here, all the way to stability, peace, and prosperity, And I think there's something in us right now, especially after the last couple years, that just rejoices at the thought of that. Can you look forward with me to a day when all of the craziness is just done, right? The Lord says that day is going to come, right? We're going to dwell in security. None will make us afraid, and there will be stability in that land. None of these things that are making us continue to move so much. 
This means, uh, I know some of you are here today, uh, we have a number of immigrants in our church, a number of people here now from from other countries, Uh, and I bet that those of you who are here from other lands probably did not expect the things that happened in your home country that then led to you fleeing here. You probably didn't expect those things to happen. And most of you don't know if you'll live here in Indy in a year from now or where you will live or where you will work or what you'll do. There's so much flux and change in that lifestyle. The promise the Lord gives you here today is that one day for those that trust in Jesus, there will be enough stability that we can dwell in the land and each of us sit under our own fig tree forever in the house of the Lord forever. This hits me personally because, well, Emily and I have had to move more than we've really wanted to being in ministry. It's part of the moving lifestyle or part of the ministry lifestyle sometimes. Uh, we just very recently, uh, we, we've hugged people and said goodbye more times than we want to really is the point. Uh, we had recently a, uh, a friend from the last place we lived come and visit us. Uh, they've since moved to Colorado and we've moved here so we don't ever see them anyway. We were best friends with them then. Uh, they were coming by through for Christmas to go see their family that lives on the other side of us. So they stopped and they stayed the night. And uh, I got to see a close friend of mine and sit, talk with them for an evening and talk again in the morning. And man, it was so nice. And we said goodbye to them. Their kids played with our kids because they were all buddies back when we lived together. And, and then the kids said goodbye and went and walked all of them out. To, and they, they got in the car and shut the doors of the Chevy and pulled out of the driveway and drove away. And I stood there and watched them drive away like I often do when people come over. And I thought, man, it is so nice to see Mark again. I didn't, I didn't know if I'd ever hug him again. And I got to hug him. It was so nice. And I went inside. And uh, one of our daughters, I was so happy, but one of our daughters had just broken down and was crying. Um, and Emily was down on her knee, like holding her. So it'd be okay. Um, and our little girl said, I forgot what it was like to have a close friend. Because since we moved here, COVID came through and just wrecked everything. And, you know, kids have a hard time making friends in that kind of environment. Uh, Point is, I'm so sick of saying goodbye to people. So sick of moving. And don't any of you guys move away or die for a long time because I've had enough. (laughs) Uh, And I know that the Lord means all of that for good in my life and in our little girl's life. Uh, But it's okay to say we're sick of that. We want the day when stability comes. I want the day when I plant a fig tree and I go back 5,000 years later to check on it and say, yep, my fig tree is still here and I'm still here, right? I want that day when the Lord settles us down and all of this craziness is over with. If your heart resonates with that and you're saying, I'm, re- I'm ready for the adventure to be over with. We'll, we'll go along with the adventure for as long as the Lord gives it to us, but I'm ready for it to be over with. Well, friend, take heart. There comes a day when all the craziness is done. Each of us sits under our own fig tree. Each of us plants our own tree and we dwell in stability and in security. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day. One more blessing we get that Abraham got there and that is fellowship with God. He didn't just plant a tree. He planted a tree and he called upon the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord, that's the name that only his people get to call him, the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant name, because he's got fellowship with God. He can call upon the Lord's name. And that very promise that in this coming day, he will dwell with us, he will be our God, we will be his people, 
Those seasons that you have in your life when you feel far from God and then feel near to God and then feel far from God, you won't have that wavering sense anymore. Uh, Not just because your heart will be made right, but because God will literally walk with you. Like he will be here and say, I don't just have to be with you in spirit anymore. I can hug you now because I am right here. He will dwell with us. He will be our God and we will be his people in that day. So if you're here today and you've heard me talk a lot about this Jesus Christ and you're saying, man, this, this life these people have to look forward to one day, uh, that sounds pretty nice. Uh, I want you to know these promises are available to you as well. Um, the Lord holds in his open hand to anyone who would turn from sin and trust in Jesus Christ. They can find full forgiveness of their sins at every single blessing we have talked about here today, the greatest of all, dwelling with God in his kingdom forever. If your heart yearns for that, turn from sin and trust him, I call you. For the rest of us, we know we're gonna leave here today and the adventure is gonna carry on, is it? Some of you aren't gonna be here in a year because you're gonna have moved away and something crazy has happened in your life. Uh, the story is gonna keep being written. And I think the reason the Lord wants you to get this glimpse of the coming day is so that you can be ready to hold on to him no matter what that adventure brings. No matter what tomorrow brings, cling to Jesus Christ because the things we just saw a glimpse of today, they are coming. Do not let him go for all who keep his covenant. Get to one day, sit and rest in the kingdom of God. Well, amen, yeah. Well, let's pray together.